Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Breachside Broadcast, home of the finest foxcasting either side of the breach. Tonight's episode brings us the conclusion of The Dead Man's Ball. In the last instalment, a budding necromancer named Gwen received a mysterious invitation to an event attended by all of Malifaux's most prominent resurrectionists. In tonight's conclusion, she gets up close and personal with some of the city's most horrifying inhabitants. I hope you enjoy part two of The Dead Man's Ball, right after this word from our sponsor. This episode of the Breachside Broadcast is brought to you by Mr. Burke's Mortuary Supplies. Looking for a shovel that can shift six feet of earth and then split through the lid of an oak casket? Look no further than Mr. Burke's. We also carry our own line of makeup that's specially designed to mask the pallor of death and the telltale signs of putrefaction. Your corpse is guaranteed to look 10 years younger and 100% more alive. It took Gwen some time to find her way back through the Opera House's tunnels. And when she finally emerged, it seemed the party was in full swing. The muffled roar of many loud conversations going on at once, punctuated by the occasional distant scream, guided her to the building's foyer. The room was hot and crowded. She had no idea there were so many resurrectionists in the city. Some were wild, shabby-looking creatures with tattered clothes and deranged eyes, but others were clearly respectable gentlemen of wealth and station. Most simply looked like ordinary men, dressed up for a night on the town. She felt conspicuous. Aside from herself, there were only a handful of women in the room, and as far as she could tell, they were all undead. They had been dressed up in scandalously revealing maids' outfits, and awkwardly carried trays of drinks through the crowd. The men laughed and made lewd jokes as they passed, and occasionally a drunken sort would go for a sly grope, but the zombie waitresses gave no reaction whatsoever. The sight of them made her feel queasy. Shovels! Picks! Those graves won't rob themselves! A voice boomed over the crowd. Gwen carefully made her way to the voice. It belonged to a man in a worn top hat and a tattered dusty suit. Long, greasy hair spilled out from under his hat. He stood behind a table with an array of tools and gadgets, most of which Gwen had never seen before. Ah, young lady, the man said, tipping his hat. Interested in some supplies? Only the finest tailored to our particular needs. Any shovel can dig a hole, most certainly. But how many have a sharpened edge perfect for splitting a coffin? He hoisted the instrument in one hand. Ah, but no. You're a lady. 
Wouldn't want to get your hands dirty. What about this makeup? As my own concoction, perfect for covering up that dead peeling skin. Or this perfume to cover the stench of the grave. Gwen wrinkled her nose. I'm not dead. The man squinted at her. Quite right, quite right. He leaned in conspiratorially, tapping the side of his nose. But nothing lasts forever, eh? Gwen huffed and turned on her heel, ignoring the man's shouts and jeers as she continued on her way. There were rows of tables, and even a few makeshift booths, each offering some sort of unique service. There were spot alterations to tighten up loose limbs, books bound in human skin, and even a man selling undead pets. A companion for life and afterlife, the sign read. Over the noise of the crowd, Gwen was sure she heard the lighter tone of a woman's laughter. Jostling her way through the press of bodies, she eventually identified the source. It was definitely a woman, though she was dressed more like a frontiersman in a long duster and heavy riding trousers. Her face was weathered and plain, and her eyes were sharp and confident. It took Gwen several moments to pluck up the courage to approach, nervously. Why, hello there! The woman spotted her immediately, and drew her into a conversation, dismissing the two men she'd been speaking to. Ain't you just the cutest little thing? What's your name? Surprised at the force of the woman's attention, Gwen managed to stumble through her name and shake the offered hand. She'd never shaken hands before. The woman's palms were rough and cool, and her grip was strong. Well, it's a downright pleasure to meet you. You can call me Tara, and somewhere around here... Ah, right, there she is! Tara indicated a gaunt woman in a tattered grey dress who was hunched over a table laden with food. That's Karina. So you're one of these grave robin types, then? I... Gwen wasn't sure how to respond. She'd never dug up any bodies, but Tara seemed to be watching her with a twinkle of amusement, so she assumed the term wasn't meant to be taken literally. I suppose so, she ventured then added, Are you not? Tara laughed. I'm mostly just along for the ride, but I know a trick or two. Karina was the one that wanted to come tonight, but now she's here, she's gone shy. Must be all the handsome young fellas, eh? She winked and nudged Gwen in the ribs with her elbow. There certainly are a lot of men, Gwen conceded. It's nice to see another living woman, actually. Oh, hun, Tara said kindly drawing her coat open to reveal a gaping, ragged hole that passed entirely through the center of her chest. I wouldn't call me alive, exactly. Gwen recoiled in surprise. Questions crowded into her head and crashed together, leaving her bewildered. But you're... I mean, you're not... She struggled. Mindless like most of those poor bastards? Tara suggested with a grin, tapping one finger against her temple. Nope. My heart's long gone, but my brain's still ticking. But how is that possible? Beats the heck out of me. But I can tell you that my gal Karina's the best damn rezzer that ever lived. She's forgotten more about necromancy than all these men put together will learn in their lifetimes, and that ain't no exaggeration. She looked toward the buffet table, where Karina was peering intently at a pile of roasted chickens with a mixture of pride and pity. Sad to say... I really mean that. The poor thing's forgotten damn near everything, including her own name sometimes. Oops, there she goes again. Excuse me. Hey, she shouted at the hunched figure. 
Sweetheart, I'm pretty sure you can't reanimate those. They're cooked. Turning her attention to another figure lurking in the shadows, she called, Darling, can you help her out? As the figure emerged into the light, Gwen's blood ran cold, and she grabbed Tara's arm in panic. That's a death marshal, she squeaked. Tara laughed and patted her white-knuckled hand. He surely was once upon a time. Useful sort to have around. As she watched the creature gently try to shoo Karina away from the buffet table, Gwen forced herself to relax and release her grip on Tara's wrist. But the marshals are trained to protect themselves from necromancy, aren't they? People always say that they can't come back as zombies. That's why they're not afraid to fight, well, us. People say that, do they? Tara chuckled. I guess nobody told Karina. Or they did, maybe. Like I said, her memory's bad. Sometimes she forgets that a thing is impossible, so she goes ahead and does it anyway. There was a sudden commotion around the buffet table, as several roasted chickens hurled themselves off the pile and began awkwardly flopping across the floor with surprising speed, leaving trails of grease and stuffing as they scattered into the crowd. Karina, cackling with delight, gave chase. Terror, the stolen hand still dangling from his mouth, looked like he very much wanted to join in. Well, I'll be damned. Tara sighed, like a parent with a clever but unruly child. Gwen remembered the sound well. It's been awful nice chatting with you, she continued, but I'm afraid you'll have to excuse me. The noise and press of the crowd was getting too much for Gwen. Heading up a sweeping marble staircase to a landing, she found an outdoor balcony and took several deep breaths of the cold night air. A soft voice almost directly in her ear said, Marvelous night, don't you think? I love a party. She whirled to find a pair of brilliant green eyes staring intently into her own, far too close for propriety or comfort. There was a glittering fire in those eyes. In the darkness, they almost seemed to glow. Seamus, isn't it? she stammered. She'd never been alone with a man in such close proximity before, but Mrs. Bletcham had always warned her that it could lead to bad things. Oh, you remembered, he grinned, laugh lines creasing the skin around his intense, unwavering eyes. What a charming girl. Don't worry, you'll get used to the name. Do you remember what else I said? You like my dress? Gwen ventured. Aye, I like the blood. Now that I look at it again, though, I'm not sure there's quite enough. What else? What did I say I'd do? The fire in his eyes was growing, becoming a terrible, all-consuming inferno. She couldn't turn away. You said, she faltered, trying to gather her thoughts. You said you'd catch me later. Her whole body was shivering and she couldn't seem to stop it. Clever girl, Seamus laughed. Here's the thing. For me to catch you, you need to run. He reached into his coat and slowly drew a long, serrated knife. You need to run, he repeated. Gwen's hands gripped the balcony railing, but her legs were numb and unresponsive. Her chest was painfully tight, and her vision was starting to go dark at the edges. How long had it been since she'd drawn a breath? Seamus leaned forward, 
and whispered directly into her ear. Run. Gwen's body burst into action, seemingly of its own accord. She slipped past Seamus, ducking under his outstretched arm and knocking him off balance. In the corridor she hesitated, trying to remember the way to the stairs, trying to hear the sounds of the party over the pounding of her heart. Seamus' hand caught the back of her dress. The fabric tore as he lifted her bodily off her feet and hurled her down the corridor, away from the stairs. She landed painfully on the wooden boards, but managed to scramble to her feet. Hiking up her skirts, she sprinted away with Seamus' mocking laughter ringing in her ears. She could hear his hobnailed boots stumping after her, but she didn't dare look back. Skidding around a corner, Gwen spied an open door and made a dash for it, slamming it shut behind her and pressing her weight against it. She expected Seamus to come crashing through at any second, but there was no sound at all from the other side. She fumbled with the lock until it clicked, then looked around the room. At one time, this had been a private dressing room, judging by the ornately mirrored table that was its centerpiece. Gwen grabbed the stool that sat in front of it and tried to jam it against the door as best she could. There was also a heavy wardrobe, a wash basin, and a cot piled with blankets. The room was illuminated by oil lamps ensconced in the walls. With a sudden chill, she wondered why the lamps were lit. Gwen stifled a scream as the pile of blankets moved, and a slender young woman, a very dead young woman, emerged from the bed. She had the same slack jaw and glassy stare common to most of the undead, but there was an air of puzzlement in the way she held her head. Her dry, pillow-tussled hair and sluggish movements completed the illusion. If it weren't for the ragged gash that ran across her throat, she could have been any woman unexpectedly awoken from a deep sleep. She wore only a stained cotton shift. The zombie stood and made a few hesitant steps toward Gwen. Her hips made an exaggerated swaying motion with each step. As she advanced, she began to slide the hem of her nightdress slowly toward the top of her thighs. Oh, ah... Uh... Gwen averted her gaze and blushed furiously. Sorry, I didn't, um, please, don't. The woman caught one of Gwen's wrists in a vice-like grip, then caught the other as she tried to pull free, and drew her into an embrace. Gwen struggled as one of the creature's legs wrapped around her waist, and its arms wrapped around her neck, undead fingers twining through her hair. With relentless strength, the zombie began to force Gwen's mouth toward its own blue-black lips. Just before their faces met, the creature's jaw opened impossibly wide, revealing jagged brown teeth and a blackened tongue. Gwen gagged, hands beating ineffectually at the woman's chest. Moy, moy, you girls seem to be getting on famously. I almost hate to interrupt, Seamus chuckled, emerging from a dark corner behind the wardrobe. But that's enough. Hetty, back to bed. The zombie had paused with jaws poised to clamp shut on Gwen's face, and it seemed to hesitate for a moment before releasing its grip and suddenly shuffling over to the cot. Between gasping breaths, Gwen risked a glance at the door. It was still locked, with the stool propped against the handle just as she'd left it. You said I'd come to no harm, Gwen tried to keep her voice steady. You gave your word. Oi, that's a fair point, girl. Seamus paused, looking thoughtful. Though I think you'll find what I actually said was 
that you'd come to no harm as far as I could see. He shook his head solemnly and laid his knife gently on the dressing table, turning his back to her. Can't be expected to watch you all the time now, can I? Gwen hesitated, her mind racing as she tried to understand. Was he giving her a chance to fight back, or setting a cruel trap to toy with her? It hardly mattered. There was nowhere to run. In a movement so swift she surprised herself, Gwen swooped up the knife and buried it into Seamus' side. He let out a howl and spun on her, wrapping a gnarled hand around her neck and tossing her to the floor. Tears blurred Gwen's vision as she gasped for breath, but she saw Seamus casually pull the knife from his side. Horror and anger raged inside her like caged animals, and she tried to call out, tried to get up, but she couldn't move. A pale green glow surrounded her, as if her own fear had become manifest and now danced before her eyes, taunting her. Seamus leaned forward and breathed deeply through his nostrils, the wound in his side closing with inhuman speed. Seamus broke into a wide grin. That's the stuff, he cackled. Don't you worry, little lass. I won't kill you. That would end our fun. Besides, Seamus whispered, lowering his lips to her ear and stroking her cheek gently. You can hear them too. Gwen slowly backed to the door and fumbled for the latch, her eyes never leaving Seamus' grinning face. One more thing. He held up his hand just as Gwen got the door open. You forgot this. Seems to me you earned it. In his open palm, Seamus offered the serrated knife, glistening with his own blood. Gwen paused, torn between an overwhelming urge to escape and a defiant desire to maintain the last treads of her dignity. She composed herself, gave Seamus the sharpest glare she could muster, and snatched the knife from his hand. At a girl, Seamus shouted, laughing and slapping his thigh. The mad giggling followed Gwen down the hallway. I think we should leave, Gwen announced, and Terra barked his approval. The two of them wandered the maze of corridors until they found a set of stairs. The noise of the crowd filtered up, and Gwen hesitated. She would surely be more likely to run into further trouble, or at least unwanted attention, if she rejoined the party. But on the other hand, perhaps there would be safety in numbers, and she felt alone and vulnerable. Terra began a clumsy hopping descent, and she reluctantly followed. On the ground floor, the passage led to an archway where she could see a crowd of men and monsters. They were all focused on a spectacle out of her view, the opera house's stage, she supposed, and were shouting and cheering with great gusto. The noise and the press of bodies made her long to turn and run, to find another way around, but her trembling legs protested at the thought of climbing the stairs again. All she had to do was get through the crowd and out the main doors, and she would be free. As she pushed her way through the forest of jostling elbows and shoulders, she couldn't help but be curious as to what the fuss was all about.
Packed in by taller men and the occasional towering undead creature, she eventually fought her way into a clear area near the doors from where she could see the stage. The two undead monstrosities were tearing each other apart. The first was a behemoth of rotting muscle and bone, with rotating saw blades for hands. Its eyes had long since rotted from its face, and a metal band strapped to its forehead flashed with red lights. Its opponent had the body of a gorilla, with the head of a bayou gator sewn crudely on. It beat its chest and let out a hiss as it leapt towards its foe. But the saw blades were too fast, lopping the gator head clean off and sending it careening into the crowd. The man next to Gwen elbowed her. That's why you always keep the original head. Stitch is always the weak spot, he shouted over the noise of the crowd. I don't think it's over yet, Gwen replied, staring openly. The decapitated gorilla kept on fighting, leaping on top of the rotting monstrosity. It grabbed the metal band around the creature's head and pulled. With a horrible sucking sound, the metal came free, trailing wires dripping with gore. The behemoth went berserk, flailing its limbs and letting out a shrill, inhuman screech. It fell into the crowd, dismembering several members of the audience in its death throes. What was left of the gorilla stood proudly on the stage, beating its chest. Focus wasn't in the head, I suppose. Clever that, the man beside Gwen admitted grudgingly. Everybody always goes for the head. Money was changing hands, and men were shouting and hollering at the outcome as Seamus took the stage. Ye were warned, he bellowed. The first row always gets a bit messy, but nothing that can't be sewn back on, right? He laughed and clapped his hands as the great curtain swung closed behind him. But now for a bit of fun. I give you the lovely ladies of lace and laceration. The most perfect pretties of putrefaction. Me girls. The curtain swung open, and a chorus line of less-than-living ladies danced something that was, Gwen assumed, supposed to be a can-can. She noticed that the women on stage were the same zombies that had been dressed as waitresses earlier. Their sluggish, jerky movements were making the energetic dance into a shambolic parody as they flailed out of time, tripped on their flowing skirts, and kicked each other, to the delight of the jeering crowd. A hulking zombie with an organ grinder provided jangling, off-kilter musical accompaniment. Seamus took a spot at the left of the stage, clapping his hands and laughing so hard there were tears streaming down his cheeks. To the right, in the lower balcony, Nicodem watched, rolling his eyes. Seamus noticed it too. Oh, learn to have some fun, old man. Nicodem stood, adjusting his monocle. Necromancy is the path to perfection, Seamus. Its purpose is to overcome the weakness of the flesh and the mind, to shatter the barriers between will and act. There is nothing to be gained in leering at the wild flailings of dead harlots. Observe the true craft. Raising his hands like a conductor, Nicodem gestured, and the undead figures around him and in the front row began an intricate dance. They moved in perfect harmony, like cogs in elaborate clockwork, each fitting seamlessly to support and complement the others. The annoyance on Nicodem's face was gone, 
replaced with a smug smile. Seamus got to his feet. Gwen could see him mouth something under his breath that looked like, bloody show-off. But to the crowd he bellowed, Harlots, that's me girls you're talking about, and his pistol boomed like a cannon. Nicodem's hat exploded into tatters. The dance ceased mid-arabesque. Nicodem, his face pale and cold, threw his arms forward. The zombies around him surged, leaping from the balcony into the crowd, his two footmen leading the charge. Each drew a pair of long curved swords and began cutting a bloody swath through men and undead alike, heading toward Seamus. See? Now this is fun, Seamus howled. The dancing girls, led by an enormous bald creature in a ball gown, shrieked and threw themselves off the stage into the melee, scratching and biting with ferocious passion. One of the footmen thrust both his swords through the huge woman's chest, and she looked down at the rents in her flamboyant gown with an anguished howl. Then she swung both meaty hands to meet in a thunderous clap on her assailant's head bursting it like a grape. The audience, who had been watching in stunned silence, erupted into pandemonium. Many simply tried to run from the unfolding horror, stampeding through the crowd. Others shouted declarations for one side or the other, sending their own minions to join the fray. Some seemed delighted to seize the opportunity for mayhem, using monsters and bursts of deadly sorcery to bar the way of those attempting to flee the scene. Gwen, standing near the doors, saw the crushing press of people and zombies heading in her direction and desperately flung herself to the side to avoid being squashed. A colossal amalgamation of human parts and steam-powered machinery, ridden by a dapper young man with a riding crop, flattened its way to the front of the pack and charged the doors, smashing them into splinters with its sheer bulk. The rider's face met the lintel with a crack as his mount lumbered on, and he toppled to the floor. The crowd surged past Gwen in a torrent, people trampling and clawing each other in panic. Taking refuge behind a huge pillar, Gwen tried to catch her breath. Hello, pretty. A tall, sharply-dressed man hissed in her ear, grabbing her upper arm. Under normal circumstances, she thought, this would be frightening. But after everything she'd been through this evening, it simply didn't seem worth getting worked up about. She kicked the man savagely in the groin, and then, as he doubled over, she drew Seamus' knife and cut his throat from ear to ear. He fell, staring up at her in shock from a spreading pool of his own blood. She held his gaze until his eyes glazed and he stopped gasping. It seemed that the crowd had thinned. Those trying to escape had mostly done so, though the floor of the auditorium was slick with blood and littered with bodies, which occasionally staggered brokenly to their feet and moved to join the fight that still raged around the stage. One enterprising soul had set a pile of broken furniture ablaze, and the flames were licking up the walls as smoke began to fill the room. Stepping carefully, Gwen headed for the door but couldn't help glancing toward the battle out of curiosity. The area around the combatants was scorched and blackened by sorcery and caustic ichor. Those left fighting were battered and frayed, 
continuing to hurl themselves into combat, despite shattered limbs and ragged wounds. Nicodem still stood on his balcony, directing his minions like a puppeteer, and forcing those who fell to rise again regardless of their injuries. Seamus was... gone. That realization was an icy grip around her heart. She saw that Nicodem had also noticed his opponent's disappearance. Shaking his head, he retreated into the shadows, leaving those below to continue their futile struggle. Gwen fled into the night with terror at her heels, as the opera house grew into a towering funeral pyre. The night was dark and cold, the wind whipping at Gwen's heels and bringing with it the scent of smoke. As she trudged on, a carriage came to a stop before passing her. Mortimer sat atop it, tipping his hat. A ride, miss. Gwen proudly picked up the edges of her torn and bloodied dress, turning up her chin as she climbed aboard. Thank you, sir. It has been quite a night. Terra was barking insistently. Gwen forced one eye open, wincing at the bright sunlight that flooded through her bedroom window. Her bed felt so comfortable that she decided she was never getting out of it again. But the dog had other ideas, scrambling up alongside and poking at her with his nose. She heard the twins running and shouting in the corridor outside and forced her aching body to get up and dressed. Her tattered evening gown lay in a crumpled heap on the floor, far beyond repair. Next to it, the gleaming polished steel of Seamus' knife caught her eye. Her knife now. Turning the blade over in her hands, she tried to order her thoughts. Last night's experiences had been terrifying and almost deadly, that was true. But at the same time, her thoughts buzzed with new insights new possibilities, new avenues for experimentation. Her knowledge and power would grow, whatever the sacrifice. As she turned the blade over, she noticed something that had escaped her the night before. It was engraved. To my lovely Gwen. Seamus. Gwen tried to remember. Had this been there last night? She simply had been too occupied to notice either way. Could this be some spell, some trick of necromancy? No. Deep down, Gwen knew that the knife had been engraved before she'd ever even seen it, and she shivered. She watched Terra as he chased motes of dust through the sunbeam, and thought about the nameless puppy she'd found on the street and brought home. He had seemed happier then, Something was different, some undeniable and unseen spark. She missed those days, before the twins had gotten their cruel hands on him and left him still and broken, before she'd heard the first whispers. She mused, turning the blade to catch the light. Her life certainly promised to be more interesting now. Spare the rod, spoil the child, came the whisper. 
Perhaps it was time to move on to greater things. The pounding knock at the door interrupted her thoughts, but the soft giggling made her smile. She slipped the knife into the sleeve of her dress, its cool metal snug against her forearm. Come in, girls, she called. brings us to the end of another episode of the Breachside Broadcast. Join us next time for more Tales of Malifaux.